people are always going to need to buy houses. And what we're learning is that lending can be done ethically. It can be done right. It can be done in a way where you can go to sleep at night, you know, knowing that you did everything right by the borrower. The 14th Dalai Lama, the current spiritual leader of Tibetan Buddhism, once remarked in an interview with The Guardian, a lack of transparency results in distrust and a deep sense of insecurity. His claim seems to be supported by the failure of large institutions to gain the trust of the people, as more and more shady dealings and discriminatory policies are being brought to light. Numerous groups measure the public's trust, and all seem to corroborate that we're mired in a deep cycle of distrust, which threatens the way we live our lives. Perhaps surprisingly, business is the most trusted institution in North America today, with the recent struggles of government and the media, but not by much. So how can becoming more transparent benefit your life? We're joined today by Azim Mozamadim and Kate Glassman from Greenlee Mortgage to discuss the benefits of transparency in your workplace and product offerings. We'll also give you tips on finding trustworthy companies and becoming more transparent to aid the development of your personal relationships. Be sure to stay tuned at the end of the show for a special announcement for those in our Doorward Thinking community. It's time to get your Doorward Thinking caps on. Let's get started. Welcome back, thinkers. Nate LeBlanc here with Doorward Thinking. We're doing something a little bit different today. We are recording from home due to a snowstorm that's coming in. So if there's a little bit of decreased audio quality, we apologize for that, but the weather's on its way. I'm joined today in his library by Daniel Jacob Bison. How are you doing today, Jake? <laughs> uh, awesome, awesome. Surrounded by books, snow, and ice, and uh, with good friends. What more could you want? Except sunshine. Those good friends... <laughs> <laughs> Those good friends, uh, a college friend of you, Jake. First, Kate Glassman. Welcome, Kate. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having us. And CEO of Greenlee Mortgage, Azim. Welcome to the show, Azim. Thanks for having us, guys. And new friend of Jake. It's always that's always how it ends, right? Yeah. My friends then become his friends, Your friends. and I'm alone. <laughs> Lots of friends here. You already started off <laughs> okay. on a good bet with the library behind you. <laughs> Yeah, that library was a power move. It's just fake background. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to jump right into it. But first, it's a new year, and that means new partnerships. Doorward Thinking is powered by Podtrix, a powerful new podcast host filled with all sorts of new statistics to help your show grow. Be sure to check them out today at podtrix.com. So, Kate and Azim. Tell us a little bit about Greenlee Mortgage. What got you started in the mortgage business and what makes you different than everybody else who's working in mortgages today? I got started in the mortgage business at uh, 18 years old, actually, just due to circumstances. Originally, I wanted to be an investment banker. My mother got sick, so I wasn't able to go to NYU and accomplish that goal. So my next bet was, what's the lowest barrier to entry to get into banking? And the lowest barrier to entry to get into banking was a loan officer. You do need a little bit of experience, but the licensure process, but it wasn't necessarily as difficult as investment banking. So I started there at U.S. Bank and worked there for a while. 
I probably shouldn't say their names. <laughs> so I worked at a big regional bank. Oh, good. I worked there for a little bit. And then I actually got invited to another larger lending institution. And that's where I met Kate. And we kind of just connected and stayed bonded together. We we're always on the same team. So it just made sense to kind of follow each other throughout the career. And she was also like a big advocate for me, getting me into rooms that I necessarily would be overlooked in, especially back in the day. So that helped me quite a bit on my career mobility. After my time in lending for about five years, I went back to school, got an IT degree, learned a lot about computer science, stepped into the IT field, worked for multiple large IT companies. And then she approached me with another opportunity with another large lender, hopped on board, actually got interviewed by the chief operating officer there, and they created a special division for me that was a tie-in of capital markets, technology, and loan origination. So I was a VP there for the last three years-ish. Then kind of branched out, met my buddy Jad. He's the other co-founder here. And he was like, hey, man, you're making them a lot of money you ever thought about doing this yourself. Kind of like what Kate was telling me a few years ago, like, hey, you should do this yourself. So a lot of people are always like, why don't you do it for yourself? You're making these companies quite a bit of money. And I'm like, ah, I don't think I want to, just given my mother's situation. So I did end up taking the risk, cashed out everything, burned the ships, and we opened up Greenly in March. We actually opened up in October the year before, but the licensing process and getting the bank charter took a while. So once we were able to officially lend and get line up institutional investors, we launched March 31st of last year. So we've been around for about nine months. We've scaled our team from the three co-founders to now 15 people full-time, and then we do have about 25 team members altogether, part-timers, full-timers mixed in, and we do have some pretty aggressive plans to expand next year. Right now, we operate out of Cleveland, Ohio, and Houston, Texas, so we have two operations there, and then our commercial loan division is out in uh, Orlando, Florida. So we're a bit multinational now, multi-state, so that's kind of exciting. (laughs) We did it pretty quickly within the first year. Yeah. So that's been, it's been a blessing and it's been a lot. I've learned a lot about leadership. I've learned a lot about transparency, like really showing my team like, hey, this is where we're struggling with. How do we get past this hurdle to move forward and hit our next objective? I always believe in like servant leadership. So I always, whatever I can do in any position in the company, I'll hop in and help them out. And I know I can't do that forever, but I'd like to do it as long as I can until I need to have layers and layers of management before I can hop in and help everybody. But yeah, I mean, that's the philosophy of Greenlee. We are probably a mixture of, of a fintech and a mortgage company. So the mortgage company is more of a proof of concept for the technologies we're using. And then eventually we'll probably branch out and create a technology firm that licenses that technology out to other lenders. So it's a, it's a, big, uh, it's a big box, I call it. And we're just constantly building that box and creating a bunch of cool sandcastles in it. Amazing. Jake, I see you nodding over there. Yeah, I just, I mean, I love the story. I love the entrepreneurial spirit. I did have one question in the spirit of full transparency. Why did you listen to Jade instead of Kate? <laughs> so Kate was actually just the, we and her were just like employees together. So we kind of had the same mindset of like, uh, we should probably do it, but hey, we both don't want to risk too much. Whereas uh, Jad has been entrepreneurial from like the day he was born. He's never worked a corporate job. So having his guidance and like, hey, man, like, I'll back you on this. I know how to do it. He started four other companies before this. So he's been like more of a business mentor. And we've been friends since we were like 17 years old. Like me and him have been very close. He's actually bigger on the real estate brokerage side. So working with agents, property management and capital raising. 
So he's, he, he's very established he's, already. Yeah, too. he's been in the business for like eight years. So he's had his companies for over five years, each of them. So he's hit the threshold of like success for a company. Well, I just, and I just updated my Instagram bio to, did you see the, what I updated it to? No. It says hype it man for dream with a Z. <laughs> nice. Cause that's literally what I, I think that's like, that's what I do. I'm the hype man. Because when we met at the big lender, yeah. what we really bonded over was that we were kind of miserable there. The big lender. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were just, cause like here we were getting these phone calls of, with real people who have mortgages and who really didn't understand the complex the complexity of the mortgage, how it really worked, how it worked in their favor, how it didn't. And we just took those calls really seriously. They weren't just deals to us. These were people on the other line who had serious mortgage questions. We got into hot water a few times because yeah. we, you know, you found a way to help everybody with yeah. a loan, even if the loan meant costing the lender a little bit more, still a profit for the lender, just a little bit less. But you found a way to help everybody, whoever called you. Yeah. And then here I was, I would get stuck on the phone for hours listening to somebody's like what they're going through with their family and uh, their daughter who just moved to college. And now they're, you know, and I just... Because I got sucked into that really easily, but I got sucked into the other stuff. <laughs> you would, you like, when, once you like were taking those applications and starting to dig into people's finances, that's when you like, you would be able to kind of compute in your brain how to yeah. fix everything within a few minutes. And you're like, okay, I got to explain this to these people. Whereas I would just be like, hey, Laverne, how was your day yesterday? I thought about you all day. So it wasn't just about that you were making money for this big lender. It was that there was another side, there was another component to this where you really wanted to serve, and Greenlee was a vehicle for you to do that? Yeah, 100%. I mean, most lenders were able to, especially at like the larger levels, you can hide a lot of your pricing and costs in your estimates. So one thing we do a little differently here is our estimates up front match our closing disclosures at the end of the transaction. That does scare the consumer up front because they're like, well, this is way higher than what we're getting quoted at. XYZ bank. And I'm like, yeah, hundred percent. When you get to the closing table, our prices will probably be the same. And time after time, and it's happened this entire year, we've had people from July leave us, go to another lender, and then they've been coming back as of November and December to get their deal closed because they weren't able to close at the other institution just because of the outrageous costs that are pushed at the end. Or they would like come back to us and say, you were right. We actually yeah. had a few borrowers like already who have come back to their loan officers and said it, exactly yep. what you said was going to happen, happened. And that's also something too, because even if we lost that particular deal, because that person believed the other big lender, they'd call us back, say, you were right. We're never going to get a mortgage anywhere else now. Cause now we know, you know, cause we're up front. Yeah. We just try to explain the entire process. A lot of people don't know what happens after like the applications taken in. So all of the loan officers yeah. here and Austin Connery is my VP of sales. We train everyone to really go over the process thoroughly. So even if they do leave us, they're equipped with the knowledge and tools to make sure they're getting a good decision at whatever institution they go to. So I don't necessarily want to win everyone's deal, but I want them to be equipped with the tools to at least have a fighting chance against their lender because typically we hold all the power. Why do you think that companies try and sweeten the deal up front? Is it just to kind of get people in and, and they think that now that they're in the door, they won't leave and we've got them in their business? 
or is there something else going on? Yeah, I think it's a two-part answer. The first part is the process is convoluted and hard and emotional. You're buying your biggest asset for the most Americans, the only asset they may own for their whole life. So once you're locked in with the lender, people don't necessarily want to shop around, especially after disclosing their personal financials and disclosing their emotional information. There's an emotional tie there. So the lender can use that to their advantage. It's a sales trick like bait and switch. So you bait the person on the emotional pull, and then you switch them with the pricing that you deem is appropriate for that person. And that's just the culture thing in the lending industry. I think it's starting to change with younger loan officers and younger entrepreneurs opening up their own shops, and also the wholesale channel growing in general. So it's kind of starting to change a little bit there. But the second part of it is you can really pull the borrower in whatever direction you want. I mean, you can sweeten the deal up front very nicely and... By the time you get to underwriting, they've already collected an absurd amount of fees that they don't necessarily care if your loan gets closed or not. So part of it's an emotional pull and part of it's a financial pull. One way you've put it before in other conversations, at least Kate, you know, is just so many other institutions, like these people are just numbers and these accounts is just all, is all the numbers and you kind of fail to see the Laverne behind the pieces of paper or what have you. Poor Laverne. Poor Laverne. But exactly. Poor Laverne. That's what I think, but that's really what, that's what got us talking at that, at our first job together was like, we stuck out because they weren't just, people weren't just numbers. People were people. And we were being told in other words to not make that connection, you know, and telling, we were being told again, like, the lender where you're working needs to be your priority, not the not the borrower. And that's why we ultimately left. But what we realized was that after that experience, that the grass really was greener on the other side, like that there are mm-hmm. hundreds of mortgage companies that you could work at, you know, and have a little bit more autonomy and be your own boss, so to speak. But it was still really necessary, though, because you that's when I, I when we were at the bigger lender, I told you it was this is all my idea, by the way. This is all my idea. Because I told him. I was like... It wasn't called Greenlee originally. Well, yeah, but I... We've changed it quite a bit, but she did plant the first seed. I did. I said, I said, you know, you should be doing this because this is a need. People are always going to need to buy houses. And what we're learning is that lending can be done ethically. It can be done right. It can be done in a way where you can go to sleep at night, you know, knowing that you did everything right by the borrower. So when we moved to the next lender, though, that was really necessary because then that pushed you to the top so that you could really see yeah. how a mortgage company really runs. Really did. Yeah. And then so then that's when you realized you were like, OK, now I should just be doing this on my own. That's what Jad said. Yeah. So I said, you should go into mortgages. And then Jad said, you should do this on your own. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> so they both had an instrumental play. What I really love about what you described is that leaning into transparency rather than being something to be afraid of is something that quickly helped you establish credibility even as like a new player a new the new kids on the block so to speak but like within a matter of months people are saying oh you people are credible the other people over here are scumbags yeah the transparency worked because I think in like, because transparency also is very closely correlated with genuineness. And so, and just like you said, with what we're seeing now with like 
younger loan officers, younger entrepreneurs. It's just like, I think that's just of the younger generation, millennial and Gen Z. We are more favorable to transparency because we find it more genuine. That's what we're clinging to. You said this the other day that we follow people, not brands, right? right? We're going to follow people that we feel we have a genuine connection with. And you don't get that by not being transparent because transparency leads to trust. And that's the, the long sustaining model that we're, you know, going for. So you left the loan, uh, the lender, you had a blank slate now, like you said, cashed out the chips, burned the bridges, and you're starting on your own. How did you jump from this idea and vision of how to lend to your reality? What were the practical steps that you took in setting up your company and starting your team? Oh, man. That's a lengthy answer. <laughs> there's a there's a lot more steps to uh, opening a financial institution than most traditional businesses. The first step was really like checking my licenses, making sure like everything was good on my end. Secondary step was partnering up with my buddy Jad, and then him being like the first capital investor. I had a ca- I had capital from burning the ships, but to start a lending institution, you need quite a bit of capital. They do have like a balance sheet requirement and net worth requirements. So bringing him in and being able to meet those requirements really jump-started everything. Then setting up the LLCs properly, setting up the holding companies, making sure we have attorneys and lawyers and CPAs, everyone on our side. And then it's really setting up practical systems to actually get the bank charter or the license. The state of Ohio regulator requires you to have a fully set operating procedure, operating manual, operating system. So you basically have to create the business and present it to the regulator before you can start your business. And that's kind of why it took us eight months to really open because of that whole process being so gruesome, honestly. (laughs) It's a very painstaking and grueling process. Uh, Me and Jad. Lots of red tape. Yeah, so much red tape. Like me and Jad would probably work every day, like eight to eight for like those eight months. It was just nonstop. Because you just have to build the entire business before the business exists, whereas in other businesses you can start and kind of adapt and scale and grow as your business generates revenue. We have to sink a lot of money in up front and create all the systems and processes, almost predicting the future, to prove to the federal government and the state of Ohio and the other states we operate in that we really know what we're doing, that we're not just someone trying to get into lending. A lot of this happened because of 2008, and I think that's why there is a lot more transparency in like the millennial and Gen Z generation. We all saw our parents kind of get financially struck by the financial crisis. And because of that financial crisis, it is very hard to open a financial institution. So I'm glad that it was really hard to open. And I'm, I think it needs to stay that way. And it really does protect the consumer because not anyone can just go and say, hey, I'm the CEO of a brokerage or a bank. It's, you have to really prove that you know your stuff. You can't buy your way in. If we want to bring an investor in, it's um, a whole process with the regulatory agency. Because even if you own 1% of, let's say, Greenlee, you have to be audited. So it's a very um, tight-knit, strict process. Uh, I can't get too into detail of it because of the Bank Secrecy Act. but <laughs> We're worried more about the, the people anyway and the team building. I mean, the team building part was really, it's, it's culture. I think I'm still figuring that piece out. And it's figuring out everyone's strengths. So... Coming on board, I knew immediately I needed someone to run sales. Sales wasn't necessarily something I enjoyed, but I was good at. But I don't necessarily like breathe and live and eat sales. I don't want to teach sales every day. 
that's where Austin was an integral part of that and his experience too. He's been in the industry for 15 years. He's seen how other companies operate. He's been with multiple lenders in the industry and he's got a very good community-driven mindset. But he still has like that hard exterior needed to be a good sales operator, especially in the industry we're in is like you almost have to detach yourself from your client and be a therapist in a way without it affecting you. Because they're going to get emotional, title work might not come back on time, the appraisal might come back too low, and it's all going to be pinned on you as the lender. You are the one controlling the transaction. So a lot of our training and our culture building has been around just staying stoic, really understanding that it's going to be an emotional process for you and your borrower and the realtor and everyone involved. So staying stoic, staying calm, and staying grounded and transparent, that's kind of the culture we're building. And with the team members, it's it's a learning experience. I've never really led a team where I had to start it from zero to a hundred. And it's just been, it's been a lot. Like we recently changed things up to where now we have like our sales team in a sales meeting, ops team in an ops meeting, marketing in a marketing meeting. And we have a meeting where all those heads meet up with each other. So I think it's just finding the key leaders. Once you find those key leaders, making sure they carry the values of the company and the system that you're creating and that they're going to actually stand by those morals and ethics. I think part of that is a little bit easier in lending because a lot of the morals and ethics align with what the state and the federal government is looking for. It's a mix because you want to be able to have fun, but you also need to know like, hey, this is a pretty serious job. Like, you know, people's livelihood is on the line. And if you get too overly emotional, you might cost someone their dream. A lot of the time, that's what happens in most lending institutions is like you won't get to closing because something wasn't done properly. And we just want to avoid that as much as possible and make our process like very tight. And it's very transparent also for the LO and the loan officer too. We operate essentially as like mini franchises. So each loan officer is essentially their own branch. They can go recruit, hire, train, and create like their own brand, but they still have to follow like the core vision at corporate. But that also allows for a great autonomy for the loan officer. We're not making them come to the office. We have a hybrid schedule. They can work in the office or they can work from home. And that builds like a good culture too because you have people that are going to be one-off that want to be at home, but you still have a lot of people that like to come and congregate at the office. Right. It's been interesting. I think we're still figuring out the culture piece. We just kind of tightened it up now and we just had our first like annual meeting. And that was pretty eye-opening to see like what everyone's feeling, how they're feeling. And also for me, being like the executive manager, I have to make decisions that necessarily one person won't like, but it's for like the betterment of the group. And making those decisions, I think, are the hardest thing for me because I think I love everyone in this company and I don't want to harm anybody. But sometimes you have to make a decision where you're like, it hurts, but it's to save the other 15 people on your company. So I think just balancing emotions, culture building, team building, And just being transparent with your team members about where you are in your business, that's something that helped me a lot. When we first started, I wasn't transparent at all. Like, hey, we're struggling. I would never let anyone know, like, hey, first three months, we didn't write any loans. We're struggling. And now I'm like, hey, guys, we need to close like two more and we'll be good for the month. And it's like, oh, cool. Let's get those two more no matter what. Let's get it, guys. And it's, it's just, it's so much different. Like everyone's just rowing in the same direction now. And I think Having that vision and having that goal and setting those meetings with your team members and having those one-on-ones and being able to also make hard decisions for the betterment of the group is the biggest thing for culture. That was a lengthy answer, but... (laughs) All good, all good. Kate, as a Zeems hype woman, 
how do you hype up the culture that he's trying to build? It's like it's kind of like having that. Uh, like I, I could have a wristband that says uh, WWAD. What would Azim do? <laughs> but um, just I mean, because that's initially like what we bonded over when we were in that at that bigger lender. So that's it's it's easy to continue that when training the LOs. I mean, they're not being trained anymore. They're up off and running. They've flown the coop. They're doing everything mm-hmm. they need to. But when it when we were um, kind of more intensive, like loan originator uh, training uh, earlier, like several months ago, just really hammering it in from the beginning. Don't be afraid to be transparent with your borrowers. They're actually going to respect you for it in the end, even though it's uncomfortable, even though you're going to be presenting a loan estimate to them that they probably they might have a competing loan estimate from another big bank that looks a lot more favorable. I'm going to equip you so that you can explain to them how this is a trustworthy loan estimate and how this one isn't. And we're going to take the time and actually I'm going to go through that with my loan officers so that they know how to do that with their borrowers. Because it's really, it's just, it's education at the end of the day. Just like you said, it's it's not, I mean, we obviously want to close as many deals as we can, but our philosophy is to, we want to leave the borrower that they know more about their mortgage. Their mortgage is actually more powerful for them rather than their lender. That's like the ultimate goal. But as long as we stick with that, people are going to want to be a part of that because people want to know how their mortgages work. People want to know what their options are with their mortgage because like it's a, it's a very, it can be a very scary thing. It's a lump sum a lot of money that keeps you in your house. It's a big deal. So just practicing that philosophy um, every day. But now I could say all of the team members of Greenlee are really a walking poster board for those values, that it's way more important to be transparent from the beginning, even if it's uncomfortable. If it's uncomfortable, that means something. That means that you're probably going to be teaching your borrower something that they didn't know that they need to know right? That's why it's uncomfortable. So it's a good discomfort. And we need to kind of run in, rush into that rather than shying away from it. And I think everyone does an excellent job of that. Definitely. How did you like inculcate that? How did you impart this? Because you're talking about something that's like, obviously, very deep, something very counterintuitive, almost something that they, you having to like, break down old habits and old training. So how do you how do you like get that from like where you guys sit into their like modus operandi in in like a permanent way? I mean, I can probably for so for our loan officers, they were new. They were new to the industry. They had banking experience or sales experience. But that's actually it's a very interesting way to kind of approach building a company culture is you're getting newer people, newer to the industry. So that you can really say to them, you know, this is actually, this is the Greenly way of doing things. You know, you're probably, if you have worked at a lender before, if you've worked in sales before, you've probably seen things that were against your values that kind of made you feel icky, but you felt like you had to do anyways. I mean, it helps that they have that, a little, that experience already, but for the most part, you're kind of molding young minds already. I'd say the hardest loan officers to work with are the ones who have all of the industry experience. Like when I used to be a trainer of loan officers, 
And I would get someone in my training group that said, I don't need to be here. I've got 30 plus years in the, uh, in the industry. I was just like, oi, oh no. Okay. We're going to have an issue here because what is the really the, the biggest thing about being a mortgage lender, if you want to continue to be ahead of everybody, you have to be incorporating new ideas in, in order to incorporate new ideas. You've got to be open to them and acknowledge that they exist. But when you have someone who has 20, 30 plus years of mortgage industry experience, I'm like, that person's probably going to be close-minded and I'm going to have struggles with them as opposed to someone who's like, oh, I've been in the industry for two years now. I'm still learning a lot. And we're like, great. That's great. That's really where we need you because we can teach you how all of this stuff works, but also keeping the transparency. Because I think it's hard to push transparency on someone who uh, already has their way of doing things. They already know what to do. They don't need any more advice. They don't need any more feedback. And that's just, you know, that's uh, no good. That's on you. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we don't have like experienced team members here. And we have like probably between a few of our members, like 30 years of experience. It's really just acknowledging like, hey, we value your experience, your ideas, but here's kind of where I see things going. Here's my vision. Here's my plan. Here's my credibility. I see your credibility and I value what you've brought for the last 30 years. Obviously, it's gotten you to the point where you're at. Have you ever thought about doing more? So it's more so about like opening up their mind to a new possibility and changing things. I mean, I'm a minority. I've dealt with it my whole life. People have blocked me out of rooms. I I grew up in Cleveland. I grew up in a place where it's not very friendly for me to grow up when I was here. And it was always, it was always like, how can I get someone to change their mindset? You know, a lot of the time people are coming from a place of ignorance, not knowing anything than what they already knew or what their parents knew. Like one of my closest friends growing up, you know, his father was in the KKK and we ended up living together. You know, Bob Meadows, we were best friends in high school, two different operating systems of family. You know, his family was like, you know, we hate your kind, all this stuff. And I was like, ah, it's all good. I love you guys. So (laughs) I've always taken that approach. And I always think about it as like water chipping away at a rock. Like that rock is just like old ideas, hatred passed down, you know, culture, toxicity. It's just like blocking the water, but eventually eventually it wears away. away. And, you know, a lot of my friends, like you'd be surprised are some of the most like opposite people of me. And I love them to death and they love me to death. So I carry that philosophy over to mortgage on too. Me and Austin are polar opposites. We would never meet each other. Like it would, it would never happen, but he's also one of my most trusted advisors and trusted employees. He's out ATVing every weekend and I'm, I'm out eating like chicken curry with my family. We have two different cultures, but it works really well because I don't get defensive when people tell me their idea is better. I'm like, I appreciate that. Let's open up that dialogue. Let's talk about it and let me give you what my idea is. And if there's something in that meshes, usually they want to move forward or they want to stay connected or they want to support our business. And that transparency up front is able to help you get to a point where you can have that dialogue. It seems like if you're not transparent, then you're going to stick in your two polar sides. And so transparency that really opens the bridge for new ideas to cross back and forth and new modes of doing things. Exactly. How important was it for you to lean into your own transparency 
as the executive manager and founder for other people to embrace that spirit? Yeah. I mean, in the beginning, I wasn't transparent at all. It was a learning curve. In the beginning, it was like, oh, I'm going to do these tests. You guys do your tests and we'll meet up like once a month. And that didn't work very well, actually. It, uh, it slowed our growth significantly because it's like, you can only do so much as one person than what you can do with the team. So I started really opening up like, hey, I'm struggling with accounting today. And then boom, one of my bankers used to be an accountant. And now they're helping with accounting. And usually managers don't like to share their P&Ls with an employee. So <laughs> we're sitting there doing P&L and she's like, wow, I've never done this in 13 years with the boss. And I'm like, you know, honestly, thank you for giving me that feedback. That means I need to do this more with everybody. I ended up just doing it with everybody. I ended up taking everyone to the side. This is before I brought Kate on. It was just the five five people. And each of us were just sitting there doing P&Ls together on our little mortgage brokerage and our little like one man office that we had on Ridge Road when we started. And that's when it really clicked for me that it was like, wait, I don't need to follow this old top down method of like benevolent dictatorship in business. I can really allow my employees to have a piece of the pie and have some skin in the game. And we're rolling out like a revenue share plan next year. So that way all of our employees will have a piece of Greenly. I think that's really where things are going is it's just like if you can empower someone that hasn't been empowered before, you don't even know what that person could accomplish or what they're capable of. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a, I'm a product of empowerment. I always say I've had a lot of great mentors and bosses in my life and people from different cultures and avenues and investors and just so many different walks of life that have empowered me. And now it's like built such a credible business and a credible brand behind me. And it's opened up so many doors just because of the genuineness and the way I operate. I try to make sure no one ever feels like they're not welcome or a part of anything. It's always been a big thing to me. Like when I go to sports games, I talk to all the janitors, I talk to everybody, just make sure they're all good. Because you never really know what someone could become. I'm a product of, you know, poverty. I grew up in Section 8 housing. I grew up on welfare. I grew up on the system. And statistically speaking, I'm also a darker-skinned man. I shouldn't be in the position I'm in. So my only thing now is how can I empower others? How can I break other statistics? I really love what you said about empowerment right now. And from my discussions with you, Kate, I know that you put a lot of effort into empowering the borrowers as well. You know, going through your social media and there's that. And how do you use social media to empower your clients? And what are the other ways that you empower them to make this important decision and to become who they really can be? Well, I think it actually, that is kind of another two-parter, but the same basis is it all comes back down to education. You can empower someone when you imprint your value to them. So a value that they didn't have before they meet you and you figure out what they need and you give them part of your value just to give it, right? Because that's the transparency, mm -hmm. that's trust building. So really, we just want to educate people about their mortgages and the mortgage process in general. And one of the, maybe the best way to do that right now in 2022 is social media, because almost everybody is going to be on social media somehow, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, the TikTok. I still have mm -hmm. not figured that one out, but I'm working on it. I want to be on We're TikTok really bad. Ginger Kate is going to be a household name. <laughs> we better. Yeah. Ginger Kate and Dan Jacobison over there. We're going to be like the TikTok. We're going to be the, the next Addison Rays. <laughs> 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 
this. <laughs> but I do. But um, but yeah, just making so putting on social media, kind of figuring out how the algorithm works, how you can actually reach a pop the biggest population at a certain point, and then just making your social media about education and and value. So we try mm-hmm. to we actually we have a loan officer who is amazing at doing this, Rachel. She is fantastic about she'll she posts every day just to remind people, hey, you know, like here's a little tidbit about where rates might be or didn't you just just remember this about your down payment just in case you're, you know, thinking about uh, X, mm-hmm. Y and Z. And she'll also make um, informational videos that are very quick, but that give the borrower a piece of information that they would otherwise probably have to pay for to get somewhere else. Because again, it's all about transparency. The, at the end of the day, the borrower should just really be paying for the origination of the loan. They shouldn't have to feel obligated to pay to figure out how, to, how a mortgage works, to find out what their options are. And they shouldn't feel like, you know, they're being cornered, that they have to do this now or never, right? It's all about just giving, we educate our loan officers as best we can so that they in turn can educate their borrowers as best they can. And social media is a really powerful tool for that. I'm going to defer to my psychologist students here, um, or students of psychology. What's the difference between being transparent and being vulnerable? Mm. Well, that's a good question. I would actually probably say very little difference, if none at all, because to be transparent is to be vulnerable, right? Being transparent means being honest. Transparency doesn't always mean, you know, I've, I've got a borrower and we're working on a, a loan together and they're asking me something. Transparency is vulnerability. So there are times where I'll, you know, I had to say in my career, I don't know the answer to that. Or, you know, I need a little bit more time to look into that. You're bringing something to my attention that I have not considered yet. And that's vulnerable. That's vulnerable. Like at the, the big lender that we were at before, we, it was, it was hammered into our brains that we, we're all knowing that we would never tell the borrower when we didn't know something or if something was awry in their in their loan that we would never allude to it that we always had to you know and this was meant to you know protect the borrower in a way but what it really led to was just a really anxious workforce you know mm-hmm. it was cuz that's really for someone who enjoys being honest, that's literally saying to them, you have to step outside your values in order to continue this job, which is just a terrible position to be put in. So I think to be transparent is to be vulnerable. And again, like we're in a day and age where I think people are really attracted to vulnerability, right? It has to be done in the proper setting though, just like Brene Brown says, you know, you can't just be vulnerable and, and just be like, oh, you know, that's supposed to work. That's supposed to connect me to this person. You have to be very strategic about it. You have to figure out, you know, is this, a, is this the right time to be vulnerable or transparent with this person? Or do we need to spend a little bit more time talking to each other and getting to know each other? So I would say they're very, very closely related. I would agree with that. There's a difference between being so straightforward to the point that you can come across as offensive or uh, say something that gets taken out of context because you don't have a shared understanding of each other yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So 
I know in the past we've talked about how language can have different meanings, how it in different communities, how it can take uh, different forms over time. And so being appropriately vulnerable and transparent means taking the time to build that bridge over time. It's not just a one and done. You do want to put the olive branch forward and put your best foot forward, but not in a way that's going to potentially scare someone off. Right. You have to like, it's also about meeting people where they're at too. Like we know how mortgages work. We know the good, the bad, and the ugly. And if I get a, a borrower who's calling me a first time home buyer and they're really excited about the process and they really, they're really excited to buy a home, I know I need to, I'm going to be very careful with that relationship because I'm not going to unload, you know, all of the scariness that is a mortgage because, you know, that's just not fair. What I need to do is I need to put the time in to get to know this borrower, understand him or her, you know, what are they looking for? Get an idea of what their finances are. Get an idea, you know, this is why we have to do all of these calculations when someone applies for a mortgage. And all of the calculations have to work in order for them to be actually qualified for something. And then once you've gone through that whole process with them, it's really about you have to figure out how you can explain what's going to be next in a way where they will be able to understand it from where they are right now. It's like, I, I heard this like on a Neil deGrasse Tyson, uh, Cosmos thing where like this real, this scientist was saying, Oh my God, I don't even remember who it was. Sorry guy. Um, but he was saying, he was like, even if you're, 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 so if you're a scientist and you've discovered something and it's the first discovery of its kind and it's amazing and oh my God. But if you're not able to, reiterate what you've discovered, this new idea, this new theory to your average person, if they cannot comprehend it, then it's nothing. It doesn't matter. Right. Because, you know, you're not able to share not one it, bit. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that's vulnerability. It's, you know, it's in the word. It's a very precious, sacred thing, but it's extremely powerful. You can't just unleash it and, and be like, okay, I've unleashed my most powerful force. It's, it should work for me, right? No, no, that's never how it is, yeah. right? You've got to put in the time and the effort, and then you share your vulnerability. And and then even, even then, it still might not work out. Yeah. It still might not. But because you were in your values, because you were in your values, you're good at the end of the day. You're proud of yourself. Yeah. You're able to move on, onto the next borrower, right? Instead of ruminating and being like, oh, what if, what if, you did exactly as you needed to. Yeah, it's almost like uh, it's inherent in the act of vulnerability to like put something out um, with the possibility of it being rejected. And what you've done is like trained everybody, all of your team to say, that's okay, because you're confident in what you're doing because you've been transparent, like that, that glass where... You can see behind the glass. We're not trying to hide anything. And in that confidence of what you've, what you've built, okay, we can go ahead and put this out and it might be rejected. That's okay. Like we're still doing our job. We're still helping borrowers. And they're going to come back to us in three months and say, everything you told me is exactly the way it was. I'm never going anywhere else again. Yep. Yeah, over here. I have one more question before uh, we move to the end of our show. 
this is not just moving on to the next borrower, but moving on to your home life and the things that you do outside of the company. Because we're very interested in learning about how these skills that we learn at work and the practices we have at work translate to our life outside of work, kind of like a work-life harmony situation. So how does the transparency and the culture that you are working to build at work translate to your relationships with your families and your friends and your other acquaintances who you meet out when you're not working on somebody's loan? Yeah, I think uh, entrepreneurship in a whole, um, especially being a new startup, it forces you to, you can't be in that like, there's just like this saying like, you have a face for like work, a face for family and a face for friends. I think entrepreneurship forces all three of those faces to disappear and you just have to operate as yourself because if you're not transparent and you're not vulnerable, it's very easy to spot as a new business owner that you're trying very hard. So it does translate a lot. I think the way I look at it is like you're always being on stage in a way and you're always forced to be authentic, which it can get it can get exhausting. But I think it's also a beautiful thing because in a society that focuses so much on social media and look at me, look at me, look at me, it forces you to really be who you are on social media, who you are at home and who you are in the office all together and as one. And people gravitate towards that because it's something that's missing in our society is like, oh, I know you by your Instagram handle, but then when I meet you in person, we don't say one word to each other. And I think that's like a lost art that we've given up to technology. And then same thing, like, oh, I know you at the office, you're like my work husband or work wife, but then you don't even know my, who my wife or girlfriend is. Like, <laughs> It's just like building these barriers and boundaries, and boundaries are still necessary 100%, but I think in entrepreneurship as a whole, like, you are forced to be truly authentic, and if you're not, it's it's not going to work very well. You can sniff it out. You can, Yeah, you can smell it out, mm-hmm. like... You just meet someone and it's like, ah, XYZ, I've done XYZ. And it's like, oh, that's super cool. But then you look on Instagram and it's like a totally different person. I just, I don't know. I think it's just best to tie it all together. Like I try to bring my personal life into work. Like, hey, I'm struggling with this. This is what I dealt Mm -hmm. with at work. And then vice versa, if I have a rough day at home, like I'll tell my business partners, like, hey, had a, you know, me and my girlfriend got in a fight. I'm having a rough day. Like, that's just how it is. And on social media, I'm actually... I'm not very active. It's actually surprising. I'm really only active on like our Greenlee page. And it's on purpose because mm-hmm. my personal page is really just a Greenlee page too. And I, I kind of <laughs> like to keep it that way. I just, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean. Because it is one. It's, it isn't separate. Yeah, it's not separate. It's just like one big brand. And I learned it from a venture capitalist that I was working with a while ago. His fund, for example, they don't necessarily invest in brands. And this was a pretty big venture capital firm based out of Los Angeles. And he was saying that, you know, we don't even invest in brands. Like, you can come with us with a brand strategy, pitch deck, all this stuff. But what we're going to be looking at is, like, you as the CEO and your vision and your morals. And if you're actually truly living for what you believe in. And he's like, that's the key indicator for getting venture capital investment. Is if you have the CEO that's, like, fitting three different pockets why would a venture capitalist inject you full of money not knowing what he's going to get? Is he going to get the guy on Instagram? Is he going to get the guy in front of him? Or is he going to get the guy at home? 
So you really want to like lead with the authenticity. And I think investors are getting savvy to that too. Like it's not necessarily about mm-hmm. the brand. It's not about the social media branding. It's just all of it encompassed together. It's all of it comes together. And it's harder said than done because it forces you to always be in a vulnerable state almost because you're always on stage. And I always tell my loan officers that too. Like you guys are also CEOs of your own businesses. You're just a part of my business. And you know, the more you share with your borrowers, the more people want to help. And like Kate was saying, I think Rachel and Nick, they're one of my two new people and they're fresh. They do this very well. Like Nick's a firefighter too. He ties in that he's a firefighter and that helps him grow his community. And He's able to help people all the time in the firefighter community. Rachel, she's a single mom with three children, and she makes sure to like put out there like, hey, you know, I have these kids, and they're super cool, and here they are. Here's this cooking like snacks on the weekend on her social media. So, mm-hmm. and people gravitate towards that. Like, I mean, Rachel hosted a great charity event on Monday where we were just Kate was there too. Like, me and Kate were there. Austin was there. We were just giving back to the Cleveland community and she was able to get very large title companies to come and sponsor this and really large because institutions her, just because like of her. her. Yeah. They just mm-hmm. like her. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily they wanted for to be Greenway. where she was. So I think that just, that just really plays it. Actually, that, that double life is so dangerous and it's like precisely opposed to that spirit of transparency that you just were speaking about. I mean, we've all heard about the show Dexter, right? He lead a double life. See what happened to him. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Let's you be warned. And even that. if you're not going that far, yeah, it's better. <laughs> even if you're not going that far, it's better than you know being at large firm, keeping things from Laverne, yeah. and having to go home and look yourself in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Poor Laverne. Poor Laverne. Laverne. She's okay. She's doing great. Because she's with Greenlee. Right. (laughs) She's right here, actually. Hey, Laverne, come here. That's her. And turns out Laverne is a cat. (laughs) (laughs) No, she's she's actually a plant. (laughs) She's grabbing a plant. (laughs) Laverne the vine? Is that? That's not a vine. Hi, Laverne. That's Laverne. Hi. (laughs) let's make an introduction what what's his or her name yeah what's yeah who's name? that dan laverne wants to know he's shy <laughs> <laughs> yeah laverne's got leaves for whoever that is yeah yeah laverne's interested wow Oh, look at that. Okay, I'm going to stop. Laverne's dying. Even <laughs> yeah, Laverne needs some water. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Laverne needs some water. People are serious. I know. Laverne's seen better days. I love that Laverne's voice was the same as... Uh, uh, is mine? <laughs> no, no, you, you're like the, the like high-pitched, like, whisper. Hello. She's a plant. I mean, obviously, she's going to have a high-pitched voice. Did you know... That, um, I mean, they have these devices now where you can like clip electrodes to leaves of plants and it converts it into music. You can actually hear like the plant singing to you. Oh, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> no. Yeah. Well, that's a lot. So, I don't know. That's uh We're going to yeah. attach electrodes to Laverne and it's going to be like screamo music. <laughs> it's going to be, it's going to be 
It's going to be the biggest social media post for Greenlee. It's Laverne in a mosh pit. Attach the electrodes to the Greenlee leaf. Oh, I wonder what it'll hear. Yeah, I wonder what'll pop up there. <laughs> Mozart. Mozart. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, a really nice Mozart choir. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Bocherini's Latina de Entrada or something like that. <laughs> it'll be Mozart, but it, before he cut his ear off. Oh, wait, that was someone else. Was it Picasso? Van Gogh. Oh, Van Gogh. Yeah. Culture. Van Gogh, that's right. Both misunderstood um, figures in their respective (laughs) art. Yeah, that's true. All right. So it's the time of the show where we help you, the listener, on your search for wisdom. So we're going to get into our three things. Uh, You can go ahead and, and pause the podcast after each of these, if you want to go ahead and reflect now, or you can reflect later by going back and rewinding or by checking out our show notes. We've asked Azim or Kate to go ahead and reflect after our three things today. So is everybody ready? Okay. So three things to think about. First, think about when you have been involved in a successful team. And what made that team successful? The second thing is, how can you make your work process more transparent for your customers and your coworkers? How about for your loved ones? And number three, who comes to mind when you think about a transparent person? What do you like about them? And for a bonus, how can you work to adopt that characteristic? So for those of you who took the time to reflect now and are rejoining us, welcome back. Any insight when reflecting on these three things? So the first one, talking about the first time that you were like one when you were on a team that was very successful, what made that team successful? And I think it's you genuinely have to see what everyone's value is, right? Because what I was going to say is, you have you just like who you're working with, right? That makes a huge mm-hmm. difference that you like who's on your team. So you want to collaborate with them. You want to problem solve with them, but that's not always the case. So what you need to really do is you need to spend time finding what everybody's value is, what they bring to the table that no one else does. And you need to really believe it and remind yourself of it. And I think I think that's what really leads to a successful team is when you've got a modge podge of people who all have different value sets, but also recognize each other's value and that it's as important as the person next to them. The second one was transparency. So how how can we make our process even more transparent, not even not just at work, but like, yeah, just communication, I think, in terms of business, personal and just everything. It's communicating nonstop, be it if it's in your business, communicate with your coworkers a ton, you know, constant communication. It seems annoying at first, but it really does end up creating like a cohesive unit. Because if I don't know how Kate feels today and I ask her to do X, Y, Z, maybe she's not going to want to do that. So it's good to like check in right before and just communicate and make sure that they're in a good place to even take on the task that you're asking. And I think the second part too is like with the family communicate with them like, hey, you know, we have an event today. I need to be there. Do you want to come with me? Make them feel a part of it instead of being like, oh, you can't come to this with me. So I think that would be 
two things that can help you there. And then also technology. I mean, our CRM, we try to invite everyone that's in the transaction into that CRM so they can view the loan file themselves. They necessarily can't change anything on the file, but they can see what we've inputted, what the fees are, what the costs are, and the real estate agent can see when the estimated closing times are. So I think utilizing technology for transparency and communication on the non-technological side. That's awesome. And then the third question is, who do you think of as like someone who is very transparent? Um, and I had two people that just rushed into my mind. First is Brene Brown, because I think she's kind of one of the founding mothers, <laughs> father, mother. But she is kind of one of the first people who I think just because this, I think the, the idea of transparency and that it's actually a strength rather than a weakness, that vulnerability is a strength, not a weakness. That's a newer concept for a lot of right. people. Right. I yeah. think it's a newer concept, definitely like within this last decade. Um, and she was the one who kind of, she's the one who led with the research showing like, okay, you know, I know most of you people didn't think this about vulnerability before. So what I did is I did some actual scientific research and I'm going to show you the data that actually proves this, that vulnerability is a strength. So I think of Brene Brown. I also think of Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I love Bernie. He's ever said he is like he's the ideal politician. So right? Because like he he's always telling it like it is. Yeah. He never sugarcoats. He tells it like it is. He is very quick to um assign accountability even if it's himself. And he is just he I think of Bernie Sanders as being one of the OG transparent people and the fact that he's a politician is like even better. And if I wanted to be more like Bernie, I just, what do I need? I just got to mess up my hair. <laughs> I got to get those mittens and I need to sit like this and just be like, just waiting. I got to wait. And cause he's just transparent all the time. Right. And I, and you need to, and you need to once again, ask for our support when you need it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, yeah Bernie yeah. Sanders and Brene Brown. <laughs> Good choices. <laughs> and now for all of those in our Doorward community, we've got a special offer for you. Uh, we want to know what you think about what needs to be more transparent in the real estate business. As we create more of the tools for all of you to use, we want to make sure that they're designed exactly how you and the rest of your colleagues need them. So for everybody who writes to us with an idea, we'll reach out and give you a special look behind the curtain to see what Doorward can do for you. You can submit your thoughts at podcasts at doorward.com. That'll do it for today's episode. Thank you to everybody tuning in at home. We couldn't have this conversation without your support. And big thanks to Azim and Kate at Greenlee. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you for having us. And thank you for introducing us to Laverne. And uh, take better care of Laverne. <laughs> <laughs> and as always, Jake, thanks for stopping by and asking your great questions and imparting some of your wisdom. I acknowledge the first. <laughs> Come on, buddy. <laughs> to be here. And, and super happy to get to do this. Dreams come true, you know? It's awesome. That's awesome. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Folks, if you enjoyed today's show, subscribe, share, and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. 
And remember to share your ideas for what needs to be more transparent in real estate with us at podcast.doorward.com for your special look behind the scenes at Doorward. To learn more, check out our website and content on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And I'm Nate LeBlanc, reminding you to be transparent and to get back to living.